1: Healthy Living Intuitively with Dr. Mona Lisa is
2: for educational purposes only and is not intended to provide a physician-patient relationship. Give diagnoses, prescribe treatment, or do psychotherapy. Please contact your healthcare provider to obtain treatment.
0: This podcast is produced with Caller Interaction. Follow Dr. Mona Lisa on Facebook and Instagram to be a part of the next podcast taping. Discover your body's natural ability to heal. Welcome to Healthy Living Intuitively with Dr. Mona Lisa. This is
3: Dr. Mona Lisa, and today's show is Forever Food Allergies or Temporary Intolerances. Have you ever suffered from itchy skin hives, brain
2: fog? Has someone told you that your abdominal bloating
3: distension? that problem with joint aches could be made better by avoiding wheat, dairy, or some other group of foods. If you've ever been told to avoid more and more foods to the point where you don't know what to eat, today's your day because we're going to discuss forever food allergies or temporary intolerances. This is Healthy Living, Intuitively with me, Dr. Mona Lisa, podcast on mindbodyspirit.fm network. My name is Dr. Mona Lisa. In today's world, it's actually not today's world. It's the last four
2: decades or five. More and more
3: conditions have been addressed by the impact of food allergies or food intolerances more
2: accurately. It's true that there are an array of conditions that are made worse by foods. It's not just naturopaths that think this. Let's just talk straight medical science. For example, autism.
3: There are a variety of parents that have treated their children with no wheat and no dairy. And this one, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth with neurologists. And then finally, the Archives of Neurology hosted something in their journal saying that there was some evidence to suggest that patients got better by avoiding gluten. Now, why might this be the case?
2: First of all, at least the brain
3: and the immune system, they at the same time in the first trimester when you develop in your mother. That's important. That means nerves and your immune system develop simultaneously. So, if the brain, like autism, develops at the same time as the immune system, it makes sense why, if someone has an atypical brain development, like autism, that they may have atypical immune system, the thymus, and which may react differently to various foods. Ooh, someone's got a kitty there on Zoom. However, I don't know an organ in the body,
2: bones, the heart, in the immune system that doesn't
3: have nerves related to them. Every artery has a vein, has a lymph vessel, and has a nerve related to it. So, even blood vessels, I mean, blood cells, lymphocytes, have opiate receptors. And you can say, okay, then that's in, this, in essence nerve tissue because it's a neurotransmitter. In essence, then, you can say that brain organization, brain Function Influences our immune system directly. It's not just like, oh, our emotions affect our immune system. I'm nervous. I'm going to break out in a rash. It just does. That said, it's not just genetic that you were born that way and it runs in your family. But that moment by moment, we may mediate or change our immune system.
2: Upregulate it, make it worse, or downregulate it, make it better. So that's about immune tolerance.
3: But that's not just immune tolerance to food, things you breathe in, like that beautiful kitty over there who's in the studio audience on Zoom. She looks like my cat, Minnie Pearl.
2: However, it's also about people intolerance. It's well known that when it comes to people and
3: fertility, it occurs, it's more better, it's better if you have better diversity with your mate genetically. Similarly, when people live together, they build up tolerance
2: to each other's Bacteria, allergens, viruses, whatever it is about them. And an example, an extreme example of that is pregnancy.
3: When a mother gets pregnant, she develops a baby inside of her that's partly not self. So her immune system has to get weakened to tolerate Something that's not hers. think about it. She has to learn to tolerate a kid right before she's not even the kid's not even loud enough to scream. She has to tolerate a kid. so she turns down the volume, the volume of her immune system, even before the kid screams. Think about that. She learns immune distress tolerance. There's something could be said for that. That's one of the reasons why in the era of COVID, they say pregnant women are immunocompromised. Why? Because the immune system is set turned downward so they can tolerate the kid growing inside of them. But as a result, they're also immunocompromised against stuff going on outside of them as well. They're also intolerant for people as well. They're like very porous or sensitive and you know they don't like loud noises and stuff because things are going to be on their last nerve. Because they have dialed down so that their body, their brain, doesn't tolerate
2: the kid growing inside of them. You ever think about that? So, why is that important? Because she has a mechanism within her, immune system to tolerate a kid.
3: Growing in her that's partly not herself. We have a mechanism within inside of us to also tolerate an array of allergens. T suppressor cells, T helper cells, they live in harmony. T helper cells attack, attack, attack. My cats. When we first introduced a cat that looks just like that cat, mini pearl, kitten, everybody in the house, Whoa! Because it was new, I was on my last nerve. I'm like, "Do I need this? Do I need this?" I just had a cat, Tammy Wynette, die. Yes, I understand this, you know, about to the Southern influence, but I had gone through extreme grief, and my immune system is weak. I've had breast cancer, and I knew I've had a lot of grief, so I had to bring in love. But there wasn't a lot of love going on. There was a lot of. So I had to develop distress tolerance. I had to do- dial down the empathy and the connectiveness. Say, so they say people who are intuitive, I'm an
2: empath. Too bad. All that hissing, I just had
3: to stuff it because I had to develop tolerance. And let them, as they say in Britain, sort it out. They got to sort it out. And so I had to learn mindfulness skills. Observe, describe, describe
2: aloud. That was it.
3: And it was interesting. There's an elderly cat, Horatio. He still grows. Ah! Okay, that's one. So you could say he's older and set in his way. He accommodates. He is less tolerant. Then there's Loretta Lynn. She just walks by, she doesn't say much. She also plays the theme songs to um, movies in the background. It's my cell phone ringtone.
2: And, but Conway Twitty, another Southern singer cat,
3: they would get in such awful fights, awful. Awful fights, the hair all over the house. And now I see that what was a really awful fight, like a hell of an allergy. He was so allergic to her, intolerant. I now see that what was overt fighting, an overt allergen, is now playing. I'm sitting there I looked at it this morning, going, is that a fight or is that playing? It was like a continuum between an attack and play. Kind of like tag team wrestling. I almost paid admission. (laughs) Because I'm sitting there going, you know, he needs to get in there. A right hook would probably get him in. And he's off there. But, you know, he went down and then he's over with. And it was actually quite interesting. For someone who's empathic, all of a sudden I was disconnected from that left hook. And I was looking at the technique. My point is
2: (laughs) we can use our brain, our frontal executive function, mindfulness, and focus to overwhelm chemistry and
3: empathy. And I know how the networks are. Do you want to know how? we got a frontal lobe, the top of a C, and a a limbic system, a temporal lobe on the bottom. The limbic system is directly connected to the autonomic nervous system, which is connected to the adrenal gland. Adrenal glands connected to cortisol, which
2: dials up or dials down
3: allergies, which is why when you get wound up, they say you break out in a rash. Okay? Which is why they say that's a nervous person. They're a topic. Anxious people are more prone to asthma. Does that mean that, that they're just making themselves? No, it doesn't. Could, does histamine make you anxious? Hell yes. Do those cells, mast cells, and basophils release epinephrine? Hell yes. It's a continuum. We have allergies in our brain and in our body. Suffice it to
2: say, the power of focus just behind the frontal executive function. Focus, extreme focus, can breathing in and breathing out, can lower sympathetic epinephrine, which activates certain tissue to degranulate and fight, 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 fight. And when you breathe in and breathe out, it calms that and activates parasympathetic,
3: which decreases the adrenal gland, producing epinephrine those tissues are less likely to release inflammatory mediators. Tissues meaning like macrophages near your bronchial tubes that break
2: out in asthma. Macrophages near your joints
3: that get inflamed and increase your chance toward joint inflammation. If you think I don't know any of this stuff, I know it personally. I'm going to tell you right now. When I get upset, a joint swells up. I took care of a friend's mother who had stage four cancer, and one of the parents—I'm not going to tell you what the arguing was. It wasn't the woman who was dying was the problem. It was the family that was the problem. On the way home, I had ulcers opening up in my mouth, and one single joint swollen. Six months later, I was getting off of the um, off of the steroids. I, it was a disaster. I used to have steroid dependent asthma on a ventilator. Okay. We're not going to even talk about it. Sjogren's disease, Graves' disease. You know, AAA, AAA is not automobile. Automobile Association of America for me. It's Autoimmune Association of America. The thing is, anybody who has allergies, autoimmune, and then you're prone to infection because you use all all your autoimmunity, and then it's not there, so you get a hell of an infection. Anybody who has any of those problems knows when they get upset, it gets worse. You know it. You just know it. So you don't need anybody to tell you, are you nervous? Come over here and say that.
2: (laughs) I know that. It doesn't help.
3: What does help is knowing when I have a sore throat, I'm allergic to mold. I'm not going to be able to get rid of mold, the entire mold on the eastern seaboard. I like the ocean. I'm not going to move to Santa Fe or um, any of those places out there that are dry. Because there's no water there. And where there's water, there's damp. And where there's damp, there's mold. And mold was here before we were. We're eukaryote, eukaryote, and they're pro Meaning they were here first. So we have a hell of a nerve. It's like Christopher Columbus coming to the United States and is discovering America when really the Native Americans were here first. So if you come to your house and there's mold and you try to get rid of all the mold, think about it. Who was there first? So in my house, I try to get rid of all the mold and I know it's on the other side of the wall. I use tea tree oil. I've been allergic to mold since I was eight with this sore throat. I use tea tree oil, and believe it or not, I tell the mold on the other side of the wall. I say, listen, I know you were here first. I understand. You and I can, please don't tell your doctor this. I know I have two doctorates. I understand that. But read all the work of Larry Dossey, how people can pray, and when people pray, white cells are more likely to fight bacteria and viruses. Cells have intelligence, okay? Even if doctors and scientists don't want to believe it, read the science in the books, Larry Darcy, The Power of Prayer. Read it. If you don't think it bothers me, it does.
2: So I get rid of the... I don't
3: get rid of. I bring... I debunk the mold on my side of the wall, meaning I get it down to a dull roar debulk it like you do with cancer. You get it down to the lowest amounts that your immune system could keep it at bay. And then I talk to the wall, believe it or not. Like some people go, hey, that's like my relationship. Then I talk to the wall and I say, listen, you stay on your side of the wall, I'll stay on my side of the wall and we'll live in harmony, which really is what we should be doing. Our immune system should be living in harmony with our environment. And that's what our immune system does in our bowel. The GI tract is like, um, well, it's really earth. If people try to get rid of too much bacteria in your bowel, you need a fecal transplant. Think about that. It's like drinking feces. If you do too much antibiotics, you lose bacteria in your bowel and you have to swallow it. So if you think I'm just talking to the wall, To mold, think
2: about it when you have your bowel. Because you have to
3: live in harmony with feces, with bacteria. Because if it overgrows, you get sick. That's why when you go to Mexico, you can't really drink all the water. Because it overgrows like the mold. All this to say, the same thing with allergies. We have to live in harmony, and we have to love our environment. And if you think you're keeping everything at bay, think again. My favorite, first of all, I've been in wheat, no wheat diets, no gluten. I used to call it no wheat, and then they changed it to gluten. I understand chemically it's gluten. I get that, but we called it no wheat in the 80s, okay? I'm just telling you. I had no wheat, no dairy, no meat. I had nothing. I ate fish when I wanted to have a fling. Ooh, that was a big deal for me. And I, you know, convinced myself that carob was chocolate. (laughs) Those were the good old days when people used to pick people up in the carob chip aisle at Bread and Circus. Oh my God, those were the good old days. It got dog eat dog at the carob chip aisle. But I digress. My point is I've done all these diets. For four years, that's the way I ate. I had to do that. I was macrobiotic. And then slowly by surely, I got more and more sensitive. It helped for a while, but I wanted to reset my immune system. So I slowly introduced things that I was very intolerant to. Did I get sick? Yeah. The way I got better is I would look in the mirror and go, this infinitesimally small, this is so small, it will have no effect, so I will have no side effects. Now, now, because I have had multiple small bowel obstructions because of a neurological problem from my spine that denovated my bowel from my esophagus down to my bladder. I get serious small bowel obstructions. So wheat, it's a little bit of a problem. <laughs> So we don't do the gluten and we don't do the lactose and we take the pills because it's an issue. However, if I if someone makes me a pie, especially custard, I don't know why we're not making custard pies these days. What is the issue, especially coconut custard? I don't know. Please write to me. I don't know if
2: they, why they think they think it's geriatric. I don't get it.
3: My point is, if it's got a a gluten crust, I'll eat it. And it will be worth every point getting sick. That's my point. When we get sick and we need an antibiotic, it has side effects, it has effects and side effects. It does. And sometimes if you don't take it, you're going to die and you're going to get septic and you're going to die and you don't want to die. So you say, you know what? I'm going to take this thing. And what you do, especially if it's something like Bactrum, does it feel good? No, it doesn't. You feel like you're going to hurl or in technical terms, vomit. What do you do? You do it anyway. Why? Because you don't want to continue getting this problem. So you learn distress tolerance with the vomiting.
2: That's it. Because the alternative is to still have this problem.
3: I brought up an example on my Facebook Live, perfect example. You do do you do it all the time? Do you take the back the back from forever? No. People don't say, you know, I'm 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 living on backdroom. I love it. No, you just take it when required. I wouldn't eat custard pie all the time. I would. I mean, I, I had a little issue. Two Christmases ago, I went crazy over some apple pie. Then there was the pumpkin. And then there was the stuffing. And then five days later, we had a little bit of a problem going on. And I realized, you know what? We're not going to do that like that anymore because I flooded the system. There was the gluten in the cr- the crust. And then the crust and then the crust. And then there was the stuffing and the stuffing and the stuffing. And I realized, yes, I I do have a problem with gluten and I can't run away from this. Then, you know, we have a 12-strip program. Hi, my name is Mona Lisa. I'm a gluten allergist. Hi, Mona Lisa. My point is, I have a friend who has peanut
2: allergies. This is different.
3: But she's not a pain in the neck. (laughs) She doesn't control everybody with the peanut allergy. You know those people. You know them. No, no, you do. And if you're one of those people, you'll say, I'm not that. Yeah, you do. I once went to Disney World. I was teaching a class. I was exhausted. Exhausted. And when you go to Disney World, maybe it's not this way anymore. Used to be that if you had an allergy, whatever you had to tell him ahead of time, the chef would come out to the table and tell you what you could eat or not eat. That slowed down the lunch to like a crawl. You could be there for three hours, okay? So I don't know about you, but if you have a food allergy intolerance hyphenated, you know what you can eat and not eat. Or if you wonder just order the salad, put the dressing on the side or use oil and vinegar. You know what to do and not do. Don't fool around. Don't order the stuffing with the pie, for God's sakes. Don't fool around. And lest be, you don't want to slow up everybody else's lunch because remember now you're an empath. Remember that? Right? You're supposed to be. So this one comes with us and first thing she does is she wants to order appetizers. So she says she has allergies and I'm trying to warn her, but she won't have any of it. So the chef has to come to the table and he tells her what she can eat. I'm about to stab myself with a fork, which I was probably allergic to, but that didn't matter. I was willing to take the risk. So after about 45 minutes, the appetizer comes to the table and I, Tell the chef, I want all my food at one time because I, I I want I wanted to say, because I don't want to play around with this. I'm done with this situation here. They thought, wow, she's a real BI Biachi. <laughs> anyway, I said, because I want to lay out in the sun, I need a break. I just made it up. So the appetite comes to the table, cheats her, whatever it was, and she stopped. So what does she do? She starts to eat off of everybody else's
2: plates. I'm not lying.
3: In fact, I had a neuropsych eval and I don't have enough frontal lobe to lie. My point was, I went, we took all this time. So this one here. My point is, I gave a look to somebody else at the table. They gave a look to me and I went, I know who I'm allergic to. I'm going to a break out in the rash. I'm leaving the table because I'm, I'm intolerant. I'm doing an elimination diet. My point is, I had to do one of those steps. God grant me the serenity to know what I can tolerate and what I can't tolerate and to know the difference or whatever the hell that phrase is. My point is, is this. There is
2: a step in DBT. It's called radical acceptance. In the end, we have to accept the fact that you can only control so much in the world. You go into a restaurant, for example, and they tell you there's no weed in there. They could lie. They could lie. You'll never
3: know. And you have to trust. A friend of mine, Chris Northup, has a book called Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom. You have to believe that if there is like a nanogram or a nanometer or a microgram or whatever of wheat in there, your body's going to be able to tolerate it and you're not going to die of anaphylaxis. A friend of mine who is allergic to wheat, I mean, her lips swell and she has to go to the ER and betrayed she really you know when someone really is that way because you'll throw your body on a bottle of (laughs) jif rather than have them come in contact with it but they will put it on the table they'll just say i just can't sit next to it they're not neurotic about it it's interesting even though she could die, she has spooned it out for me on the plate and said, Here, when that was all I would eat for dinner, was a tablespoon of two of peanut butter and an apple. Now that I think about it, she would spoon it out for me, even though it could kill her. That's a friend.
2: Now that I think about it, love neutralizes life threatening allergy. She didn't consume it. But she wasn't neurotic either. That's my friend Joyce Bowers. Who works at Disney World. She's retired now.
0: Are you looking for a new and empowering lens through which to view your life and your health? Then register now for Get Healthy with Sound.
3: about food intolerances and people intolerances. I'm taking the phone, putting the phone back on the hook. If you have a uh, question or reading you want, 207-846-6475, or I'll do your readings now. If you have a question about a people intolerance or food intolerance, ask it now. Put up your hands. I would love to answer your question. Nope. They're coming in. That didn't
2: work. <laughs> How can I be of help?
3: You have to hurry up because I'm watching Super Nanny reruns. She's been very good. I know, I laughing. You're like, last time I checked, you were watching, um, oh, that lady who dances. She's just dancing. Now we're up to Super Nanny. My cats are, I think, are allergic to the screaming of the children. They just go running to the hill. But now I think they're acclimated to it. Nobody even looks up when the kids start screaming. Don't hit mommy. It's <laughs> all I hear all day long, evening long.
2: Nobody has any questions. How many people have been told
3: that yet again, they're allergic to yet another thing and they can't eat it. And how do you feel about that? And do you stop
2: eating it? Dutefully. I've done that. Nobody has any questions. Fascinating. So what have you
3: done when you were allergic to something or intolerant of something and you had to go home or to a holiday meal with your family? How'd you handle that? Did you say you couldn't
2: eat that dish? I can't eat this. I can't eat that. I can't eat this. I can't eat that. What'd you do? or would you just eat around it? Susan just entered. She's late. Nobody has any questions. Annalita just sure, walked in.
1: Sure. Hi. Hi, Annalita. You have a question? Yes, I can definitely at least um, share a statement. So with your sharing earlier, that was really helpful about the control issue. Um, I hope it's okay if I share this. I'll just put it this way. A relative of mine, a female relative, um, call her my, my cousin, um, is allergic to everything under the sun, really, and, uh, and got anorexic this summer that, you know, she had to go to the clinic. So it just occurred to me with your sharing of like, oh my gosh, there is also potentially a major control issue going on with her wanting something different then or finding her way or who knows what besides it was a Saturn return, I guess, 28 years old, different story. She's uh, she's 28? 28, yeah. You know, there's now a
3: diagnostic category that's not just anorexia, but it's um, dietorexia or something like that. Where it's an obs- it's OCD, yeah. obsessions about food and diet restriction.
1: Right. Right. I get that. Yeah. I guess she was lucky
2: in as far as that, you know.
1: I, I can't even share without knowing immediately where you're going with this because I've listened to you so many times. If I say right now, she is still living at home. And, uh, and her mom luckily found her that next morning, not responding any longer, which gave her the green light finally to get her to the hospital. Oh, my God. you got to be kidding me. No, unfortunately not. She had been to the hospital prior and then basically packed up her stuff and left. So a strong-willed young lady, shall we call her? <laughs> um, She's doing better now. That's the good news. So something, the light must have gone on at some point, and the willingness kicked in to consider her situation maybe differently. Yeah. So well, she always
3: think. that way. When you get, let me let me explain why. Mm-hmm. No, I don't think so. What's there's, the a why, w- there's a reason why. There's a reason why I said this because someone with that kind of mindset. That kind of brain organization, they say, I don't, I can't say I am not a physician to her, nor have I seen her. They say that someone who could have that brain style has two different issues going
2: on. A kind of anxiety
3: problem that they um Control with organization, planning, organization, and planning. And that's like the full food things, organization, and planning, diet, organization, planning, counting, 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 counting calories, counting carbs, counting fat, counting protein. So that's like an OCD, obsessive compulsive um, way, which is like an anxiety disorder, but extreme swings
2: in, Levels of blood sugar or lack thereof. Like when you go on a
3: starvation diet, it releases an opiate, and euphoria. And so it's not just an OCD-like thing. It's also an opiate kind of reward thing. That's like addiction. So most people used to think that people with these kind of disordered eating, for lack of a better word, I'm not going to use,
2: um, which
3: currently many people find themselves in the food allergy arena. I'm not saying all people who have food allergies have this. I'm saying that many people who have these behaviors work their way into working as a nutritionist And once again, all people who are in nutrition aren't this way. It's just now a diagnostic category where they call it um, dietaryorexia or something like that, um, where they do a lot of diet fads. They do a lot of food allergy fads because it's a a form of restriction, counting, and obsessionality. But also extreme restriction of nutrients and low um, metabolism that you're not getting enough calories is like starving yourself. And that releases euphoria, which is addictive, it's opiates. And so in the area of the brain, this is ventral tegmenum, which is dopamine, but it's also nucleus accumbens, which is like OCD, which I had never heard, I had never heard before. And the reason why I say that is because once you have that kind of brain style, you always have that brain style, you can parlay it into something incredibly productive. Like people who are um, very obsessive and compulsive become decorators or engineers or something like that, which is very detail oriented. They just have to know their area where they can't go that dark alley, where they get out of control. But she must have had some kind of obsessive, compulsive, very strong-willed kind of personality. She
1: didn't just turn into this overnight. So, you know, to her defense, I just remembered with you talking now about it a little longer. Thank you for that time. She had just also gone through her master's. So she was doing her master's thesis. And what? what? It wasn't ballet. Well, it could have been ballet, but I'm saying it
3: wasn't like impressionistic painting. Which is very relaxed and fluidly. What was it in?
1: Gosh, I wish I would know. I think it was geology.
3: Well, that's pretty uh, dry.
1: <laughs> yeah, and and um, yeah, yeah. There is a whole story behind that. She followed somebody else's advice with her professional and professional decision, while they had taken her to prior to like um, some career counselor. And she got some advice there, but she didn't follow it and then, you know, wanted to do good, wanted to be the good girl, I suppose, and um, and followed it through. And then COVID happened as well, and she couldn't go to university and that she was locked up at home and that just just, just spiraled her down. Well, Could there's a whole not-
3: theory about um, eating disorders and family systems, but, you know, if it's one thing, it's your mother. Everybody wants to blame the mother. So don't want to do that either. There's if it happens so early, it's almost always and so severe, it's almost always has a biological antecedent. It's not just environmental, it's not just something that happened at school or something. If it's that early and that severe, because she almost died,
1: so it has to be biochemical. I'll take it, I'll take the liberty of another question where and how, uh, where biologically speaking, happens. Hysteria. Somebody is hysteric. Hysteria. Am I saying it right? I'm not talking about the planned hysteria. I'm talking about. No, I know what you're talking about. History. I mean
3: hysteria. Hyster- That's a, such <laughs> a great scene. The lady over there is laughing like a lunatic. Um, <laughs> because hysteria. And there's another woman laughing because she thinks it's her hysteria too. She looks like a Jungian who looks, who's sitting there like, we see this. One of those calm, very soothing people that I probably should go to. You know, they look and they look at you. And you think I feel like a trivial idiot, don't I? <laughs> um, the reason why I laugh is because hysteria, I, unless I'm wrong, was a term begun by, unless I'm wrong. Was a term begun by Freud, which was about his um the uterus and it was originated by a traveling uterus, which meant that women are more hysterical than men. And I'm saying it wrong, but that's the flavor of it, which means that you're overly emotional. And the whole thing is pejorative to the beginning. Because it's not true. The reason why I say this. But it's pejorative. Pejorative meaning. um, It's a term that has. The function of which is to be mean towards somebody. (laughs) Another way of saying it is to be mean. And it has very little diagnostic. Usage, because if you um, if you try to label somebody with it, it's more frequently used with women than men Mm -hmm. and the term sociopath is more often used with men than women and if you try to get many people who see the lady who looks like the Jungian is going like this because she knows this stuff much more than I do. I wanted to be a surgeon. I only went to psychiatry because you could sit down. Please, please don't. I know neuroanatomy. Ask me about the thalamus. I was drawing the anatomy of synesthesia today. It was so interesting. Do you know that area S2, which is a supplementary sensory area, next to sensory, the mirror neurons? It's a long story, but anyway, that's what I was doing today. I was having so much fun. I lost complete track of time. This is my raceland, not hysteria, but my point is if you ask several people to look at patients and label which ones has hysteria personality, the other ones don't. The diagnostic frequency of accuracy is very is very moot. sociopathy with women. a man is more likely to be diagnosed with sociopathy of woman with borderline personality disorder. It's not accurate. That's why I don't like that whole thing. However, if you want a woman who gets aggressive, she's more likely to be aggressive. Litiginy. Sue you. A man with your fists. That's the way it used to be, but no more. The younger you get. My point is, we used to count. um, One of the diagnostic signs was counting, um, what do you call those? Tattoos. We to call it the positive tattoo sign. The more tattoos you had, the more likely you had sociopathy. Oh, my God, can you do that now? No, you can't do that. It's ridiculous. So I remember having a patient. She was sitting in the room. It was a um, kind of like a test I had with my attending. It was a woman who came in and said she had been raped this time, and that time she was raped by this person and that person. And I was getting sleepy, and I felt very guilty. And she it the interview ended. And I'm like, so my attending, who's not my boss, um, she goes, so what's wrong with her? And I went, I have no idea. Because you never know whether it's what she's saying is real, not real, you know, you have no idea. And there's all this stuff you learn about transference, how you feel about the person. It's like this whole f- it's this whole stuff. Ask that lady over there, but anyway, and ask that guy over there. However, she says, "What do you think is her problem?" And I went, "I have no idea." Which, to my credit, I think that's good because you're supposed to. I think you're supposed to say, "I have no idea" if you don't know what's wrong with someone. But someone who's a blowhard will go, "Oh well, you know, they have this and this." And if you're a real psychiatrist, you clear your throat a lot <clears throat> <clears throat> and you stroke your chin if you have facial hair. Or- there's a pipe involved or something like that. However, that said, I have no idea. She said, how do you feel? I said, I almost fell asleep, but I have narcolepsy. So that's, you know, that's got a bad resolution. There could be, you know, we had bread for lunch and I am free. I have a gluten allergy that I had to tie the allergens. In. And the show is about allergies for God's sakes. However, that's not diagnostic. And she said, I would say she has histrion- histrionic personality disorder. So, I wasn't about to say that really, when we've studied the DSM 5 TR sub 2, that's not a very
2: reproducible diagnostic acumen. Because even in the era of Freud, um, more women than men are due to that. Um, you have no idea. I have no idea.
3: So I could say um, I looked at, conver- let's just say conversion reaction, okay? Conversion reaction or a series of disorders where usually neurologic, but there are a variety of other ones that a person can exhibit symptoms that upon very in depth testing or modicum testing, one can find no reason. For the person's symptoms, I was very interested in this because a patient I had had um was in a very abusive relationship with her husband, and I don't mean he didn't say he loved her, he didn't look up from the paper at breakfast. I mean he used to throw knives at her, and she stayed in the relationship she stayed in the relationship was something in itself, but suffice it to say he dies and she does well. And then it's never, it's like the migraine headache. You finish the exam and you're, you know, it's not studying for the exam that's the problem. It's after the exam. So it's after he dies and a new guy starts calling her and he wants, this old man starts calling her and he wants her to drive him to his doctor's appointments. So he calls and his voice goes over the answering machine. She walks to the phone and all of a sudden she can't feel half of her body specifically the left side of her body. And anatomically, it's impossible for her not to feel the entire left, like a holoquin, or however you pronounce it, the left side of her face, neck, trunk, and leg. I know there is only one syndrome that can do that. It's a very rare syndrome, but suffice it to say, it's impossible. So she went to stroke service and then she came to me. So that's considered a conversion reaction or in your parlance, hysteria. Well, suffice it to say, there are a variety of other disorders or symptoms that are pseudo sensory loss, dizziness, vertigo, whatever, that they can't find physical reason for it. And they call it a conversion reaction, meaning converting emotions to physical symptomatology. The only problem is, is 30% of all those people are later found to have physical physical disorders underlying those, a physical basis underlying those symptoms, number one. And number two, if it is a neurological disorder and you do an EEG or some other scan, you can see a change in EEG or other electro wave in the right hemisphere that subserves the left side of the body. Suffice it to say, because I have a whole conversion reaction file, which I think is interesting. So things like pain in the whole body are more uh, dominant in right hemisphere, specifically area S2, second sensory area, which I just described. Um, Things like heart rate, autonomic nervous system, which we think of emotionally anxiety. All those things are more dominant to the right brain. So therefore, things like anxiety, panic attacks, we can say, oh, that's emotional. But anxiety increases your risk for stroke. Anxiety increases your risk for takiyabu cardiomyopathy, which causes left heart wall dysfunction. My friend caused elevated cardiac MB CPK enzymes, meaning she had a mild heart attack. Oh, would we call that a conversion reaction? Ooh, would we call that hysteria? I say hysteria in the olden days
2: was that we didn't have the machinery yet to pick up the problem. Or let me put it this way, to answer your question specifically,
3: used to be traumatized people, or so-called borderline personality disorder, Marshall Linehan said they were raised in invalidating environments, meaning someone said, you didn't
2: see that. That didn't happen. You're crazy. So I don't like to tell people, that's not going on for you. You're crazy. You don't have that. That's invalidating.
3: So an example of that is Please watch your ears. I try to pick up the phone, and all I hear is. Arr, arr. So I have a this is a place of biz here, okay? So I want to pick up phones. So I call the phone company and they send the person out here. This happens to be a guy. Guy comes to I said, the phone is broken. He said, okay, I'll check the wires. So he checks the wires. He comes back to the door. He says, ma'am, there's nothing wrong with your phone. I said, really? I was a little annoyed. And I said, that guy's heard the story before. I said, really? Then how come every time I pick up the phone, it goes, (laughs) I said, do you want to hear it again? I'll tell you it again. (laughs) And I got that tone from the movie Dumb and Dumber, as it's repeated as one of the most awful sounds ever made. I said, let me give you an example. You want to hear an example, sir? And I don't think he wanted to hear it. And I didn't care. I said, suppose heart attack. Let me see. Heart attacks. I just pulled that out of the air. And he looks at me uncomfortably. I said, let's say heart attacks run in your family. Like say your father, it's called sudden death. They're just walking around and all of a sudden they die. But let's just say they have a little chest pain and indigestion. Weekend before they go into the hospital. Doctor checks them out and says, you're okay. Nothing's wrong they go home and they die sudden death it's the kind of thing of the reason why they have those defibrillators in the airport they hardly ever work but they just put them in there so we all feel better about it i said so there you are and you hear this about your father you go to work like someone like me and you feel a little bad when you're t- and you get a little chest so you go to the er and yeah." You- Say, so, you know, I'm feeling a little indigestion. My father had a workup in the ER and it was, you know, negative. And then he went home and he's dead. So I'm thinking, you know, it's probably nothing. But Could you check out my ticket and make sure everything's okay? I said, kind of like the way I'm asking you to check my phone. I said, so he checks you and he says, hey, you know, it's nothing. There's nothing wrong with your heart. Nothing wrong with the heart. Is that really what you want to hear? Or would you rather have them say, to the cursory level of tests that we have performed, we were unable to pick up the etiology of cause of the symptoms you're feeling. Meaning, to the level of testing you have performed on my phone lines, you were unable to pick up the reasoning of why I'm hearing. Arr! not there's nothing wrong with my phones you know what i mean he said i'll do a couple more tests i said you do that (laughs) and he comes back 15 minutes later and guess what he said i fixed your phones i said thank you you go and have good health (laughs) so my point is hysteria i don't know what hysteria is all i know is people have symptoms i tell them to get a second opinion at a place that has a medical school like duke like mayo like something like that not another doctor in the medical center that you just went Mm -hmm. okay Mm -hmm. suffice it to say That doesn't necessarily mean you need to run all the MRIs and all that stuff. You can just have an office visit that if your insurance doesn't pay an office visit, where they just look over the tests. And they do a lot of that on the phone these days. My point is, but you do it with another medical center because people talk to each other, you know. My point is, is then if they still don't find anything, you check it systematically until they find something. I don't know what that sound is, but I think I have an allergy to it. So that's what I would say. But like all illness, every illness is always in part due to diet, genetics, the environment, and every illness has an emotional intuitive component. And whether it's repairing from a broken leg, a food intolerance, Heart attacks, cancers, that <laughs> all of them. I always look for what's going on because it can provoke a genetically predisposed illness. It can make a health problem that is already well-treated recur
2: or become a barrier for a treatment that's working not work anymore
3: I thank you so much for welcoming into your day you people are amazing Um, go forth that we all may be tolerant and healthy in all the elements of our life you've been listening to Healthy Living Intuitively with me Dr. Mona Lisa, have a great day, be well, do right live brilliantly, have a great evening and I will see you next week.
0: Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I'm an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network Subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts, so you don't miss an episode.